everybody. Welcome to Happy Healthy You, the podcast. I'm Connie Bowman. And for 2014, I really want to introduce my listeners to a little bit more information about complementary alternative medicine, integrative medicine, holistic medicine, whatever you want to call it. There's so much out there now. And I have David Mercier with me, who is the author of A Beautiful Medicine, A Radical Look at the Essence of Health and Healing. He also has a master's in acupuncture and organizational development. He's a lecturer, a consultant, and he was a Buddhist monk. How cool is that? Hi, David. Hi, Connie. Thank you so much for coming on to talk about this. I think this is such an interesting subject because in the current state of our healthcare system, there's sort of a dearth of information uh, about complementary medicine. And I'm hoping we can talk about that and weave through this conversation some of the main points of your book, also with some real practical advice for people who might be looking uh, this year in 2014 to be the year that they can finally achieve some of this optimum wellness. So can we talk about some options for complementary health care uh, that are out there and how to find good practitioners? I'd like to start with uh, your experience. You talk about it in your book. We're not going to be able to go, go into everything that's in your awesome book, but talk about how your experience as a monk sort of paved the way for this journey that you're, you've been on to teach us about finding our way to health and wellness. Sure, it all began way back in the 70s when I went to Sri Lanka and became a Buddhist monk for a couple of years. And um, unfortunately, I got very, very sick. I got physically ill, and that led to a lot of emotional strain and depression and so on. And so when I came back uh, in, the, in the late 70s and in my late 20s, um, I was actually a wreck. I was very depressed and very Aww. sick, and I had lost about 40 pounds. Um, so I was really, really in bad shape. And um, the, the doctors couldn't find anything wrong with me, but I know I was feeling terrible. So that's when I began to explore alternative therapies like acupuncture and, and nutrition, although nutrition is almost mainstream now, uh, massage and chiropractic and osteopathic manipulation and so on. And that's what began to help me feel better. And so before too long, I decided to go to acupuncture school. And I had been practicing acupuncture uh, and life coaching for about 30 years now. And that's how it all began. It, and as for many people in the alternative therapies, you know, I got into it because it had benefited me so much. And what I love about you, and it's really in alignment with what I want to do with this podcast, is you really look at health and wellness from a mind-body-spirit approach. And um, obviously from your, you went into uh, this monastery looking for something spiritual, right? And what you came out with was a, a physical, I don't know, how would you describe it, how you came out of that experience? Um, train wreck. <laughs> I know you had like parasites and stuff. It was amazing. I, I had parasites oh. and, and um, I had all kinds of other intestinal disorders. I had this huge crushing sensation on my forehead which was sort of like a headache but it was this overwhelming pressure that um, led me to be unable to concentrate on anything so so it was definitely a mind-body connection and i think speaking of that it's it's very very exciting to uh, tune into some of the research that's been coming out over the last 10 years or so and it's getting more exciting all the time 
And it's showing the very clear and direct link between our emotions, thoughts, and all mental phenomena and the condition of our bodies. There's some great work doing that, uh, that people are doing in that regard. So, for example, uh, it's, it's almost common knowledge now that any kind of stress will raise our cortisol levels and our adrenaline levels from our adrenal glands. And when, when our cortisol and adrenaline are elevated for long periods of time, it can really lead to some pretty significant deterioration of the, of the body. It can lead to inflammation. It can lead to... Um, the poorer or worse mental functioning. It can lead to weight gain and, and so on. There's research that show that grieving reduces the number of white blood cell counts in, in our bodies, so making us more susceptible to infections and so on. And there's a lot of research that shows that uh, emotions like anger are actually, to be more accurate, unexpressed anger and other emotions can actually show up as a physical pain, like a real bad back pain. So it's, it's really uh, gotten clearer and clearer, and it's almost an incontrovertible fact that mind and the body affect each other. So I think that this gives us a whole new take on you know what is medicine and what is health. We have traditionally defined both as physical. It's just the body. But you know, the reality is, and the science is supporting this idea, that we can't really separate out the two um, for the most part, and especially when it comes to chronic type, types of diseases. Right. So but- I think it's exciting. And, and what we can weave into that is that, okay, if, if this, the psychological part of ourselves is woven into the physical uh, dimensions of our existence, well, it makes sense that we would include the spiritual dimensions of our lives as, as well. So there's a way in which it all gets integrated, the mind and the, the spiritual elements of life and the physical body. It's all one integrated whole. And I think that's really, really exciting. I love what you say in your book. You say, practitioners of any type of medicine can remember that while the form of their work might be treatment of the body, what they're essentially and always treating is the patient's humanness. And yeah. yeah, and it seems it is a positive thing that all this research is coming out and it is exciting. So um, hopefully we're heading in that direction in a more profound way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, I think that, that quote reminds me of uh, a well-known quote now by uh, a uh, French philosopher named Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. And he was the one that said, often. you know, we're not physical beings having a spiritual experience. We're a spiritual we are spiritual beings having a physical experience. Right. So when sh- someone shows up in, in a practitioner's office with a knee pain or asthma or diabetes and so on, you know, one way of looking at it is that what we are really truly attending to is the humanness in front of us. It, it is the, the, this human being with, with loves and hopes and fears and sadness and, and all this human potential. Yeah. And so we, you know, we want to look at that as the prime. At least this is my point of view. That I want to look at that as the primary work that we were doing, and we can include the physical elements in in that, but not just that this is a, a physical uh, uh, phenomenon called a patient, you know, sitting there in front of us. Right, and I love you say in your book that symptoms are our friend actually essentially it's not what you say that's my <laughs> but the symptoms that come up in our in our lives can be 
hints as to um, you know what's going on underneath and and we should pay attention to the symptoms in a more broad way I think can you talk about that and give us maybe some examples of yeah sure well first of all that way of looking at a symptom that the symptom is just a message trying to get us to change is a radically different way of looking at illness and our aches and pains and, and other physical discomforts you know, the traditional approach is, whether it's in academia or in medicine or on the street, is to say, let's just get rid of this. This is a problem and let's get rid of this. Right. You know, what many of us in, in integrative or alternative medicine are trying to say is that, you know, wait a minute. No, there's a reason why we're not feeling well and what's most important is to understand why that's happening. So then if we bring, if, then if we introduce the idea of the mind and body being connected, we have to look at the, the person's whole life, their emotions, their lifestyle, their relationships, and see if there's um, some kind of a connection between the onset of a symptom and all these other aspects of their lives. So as, as an example, let's say someone is, is very angry at their spouse and is frustrated with, with their boss and they dislike their work and they're working too hard, not getting enough sleep, and they start getting headaches. Well, the headache is the least of this person's concerns. You know, we don't want to get uh, bamboozled. We don't want to get fooled by this, this headache and try to treat the headache because the headache is simply a sign saying, let's attend to these other problems in, in, in this person's lifestyle. You know, work it out with the spouse and change jobs or work it out with the boss and eat better and sleep more and so on. So rather than trying to get rid of the headache, what makes more sense is to try and get rid of what's causing the headache. So, um, you know, so whether we take pills for the headache or get acupuncture, massage or herbs, it really doesn't matter um, because, you know, we can get fooled even with, you know, any kind of medicine, whether it's alternative medicine. Sure. The, the important thing is to say, you know, what really needs to change here. And I think that's, that's a, that would transform so many people's lives if they could see their symptoms in that life. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You talk about in the book also our current healthcare system, it has three types of care, controlling, substitutive, and catalytic. I kind of like the catalytic, but maybe you should talk a little bit about the controlling and substitutive and let us know what those are. Sure. So the, the controlling uh, type is when the, the, the body has gotten so seriously damaged that it's not going to heal itself. So this is what you find mostly in the emergency rooms, you know, severe trauma, severe illnesses, heart attacks, strokes, and, and so on. And our but healthcare heart- system, I must say, is, is pretty good at that, you know. It's outstanding yes. at that, yeah. Yes. And it's getting so. better all the time. It's True. absolutely miraculous. So if you've got a, you know, a stroke or a heart attack or a broken leg or severe bleeding, you want, you want someone, a, a doctor, to take control and, and change the, the direction of how things are going. We're not going to see, you know, is the body going to heal itself right now? Because the answer to that is no in these, in these severe uh, acute um, traumas and so on. Um, so that's, that's really clear. And I think most patients have a very clear intuitive understanding of when they need to go see uh, a doctor or go to an emergency room. The substitutive approach is when we are taking any kind of substance or using any kind of, of therapy, even alternative therapies, to substitute for what the body actually could do for itself. 
So one example would be we can take an anti-inflammatory medication or we can take an anti-inflammatory herb or something of that nature in order to reduce pain. But if the inflammation is due to a very poor diet and a lot of stress and a lack of exercise, what we are doing is using a substitute, an external substitute like a medication, uh, to take the place of the natural endogenous or the natural built-in anti-inflammatory mechanisms that are right there already in our bodies. So if we get adequate rest, if we get lots of good exercise, if we eat really well, focus mostly on whole foods, the body has all the anti-inflammatory abilities that we need and we can get rid of pain or, or not get pain in the first place by doing that. So, so what happens with the substitutive approaches is that um, they can be habit-forming in the sense that they're so easy. So rather than going out and exercising and making sure I'm chopping a bunch of healthy vegetables and getting the rest that I want, I can just go ahead and get myself out of balance, uh, get some symptoms and pop a pill. It's much, much easier. So that's where it's really kind of tricky for, for people because being healthy from the inside out does take work. Sure. And then the third type is the catalytic approach. And that's where we would use things like nutrition, exercise, um, you know, supplements and natural therapies like massage, acupuncture, energy healing to provoke the healing potential in every cell. It's sort of like talking to every cell and saying, you know, you can do this. You go on and be the best you can be. You've got a lot of potential, guy. You know, you 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 can do well. You can you can be anti-inflammatory. You can be energetic. You can do tremendous things. And so, a a style of medicine, a philosophy of medicine that is designed to make every cell, or to put it more simply, to make the human body become the best it can be, is a catalytic approach. It's catalyzing and evoking the potential that the body has to be terrific. And, and of course, I want to include the mind in that as well. Right. So that's three very different approaches. You know, you, you got to control in some situations, and in some situations it's important to substitute because we're out of balance and we need a medication or something to reduce inflammation or whatever it is. Um, but the third approach, which is the best in terms of our um, in, in preventing illnesses and maximizing our emotional and physical resilience is to catalyze the body and mind's potential to be uh, in outstanding condition. Yeah. Sometimes I think, you know, I, we look at that the substitutive, such as uh, pain medication and different things like that in a negative way. But sometimes I think they're positive in that, for example, like when I have the flu and I feel like I am never going to feel better and I take, you know, a a Tylenol or whatever, and I feel a little bit better, then I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And it kind of gives yes. me, a, it, it changes the mind, I think. I think whereas, you know, sometimes you feel like you're never going to feel better. And, and let's talk a little bit about pain management, because that's a huge issue right now. And, um, you know, prescription drugs, abuse is rampant. Pain management, there are a lot of uh, alternative modalities out there that are really helpful. And the research has come out on that. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that while we're there. Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, um, looking at pain as a symptom is, is absolutely crucial. Okay. And once again, the pain is actually trying to help us. You know, it's saying, you know, don't move your back into that position or don't lift that or something it's it you know pain is is instruction pain is 
uh, education. Pain is trying to help us. And so, you know, what it's trying to tell us, of course, can be a great mystery, even for, for health professionals. But nevertheless, it is always trying to help us out. So I think understanding that is important because then that can lead us to an inquiring mind where we start really thinking hard about what are we doing in our lives that might be contributing to this. Now, it may have nothing to do with that. It may be from an accident or a fall or something. Um, but nevertheless, for a lot of people, looking at our overall lifestyle as the basis, uh, as the matrix out of which our pain comes, can be very, very useful. And then the other thing is, you know, understanding that the human body actually is fully capable of dealing with most pain. Now, substitutive approaches, as, as you were saying a minute ago, can be very helpful. So if the person's got um, a huge amount of pain and it's absolutely debilitating, then, then narcotic pain medications can be a terrific choice at, at that point. But what, what really needs to happen is to have someone inquiring to, okay, well, what's the long-term strategy here? How long are we going to be on pain medications? And a pain medication is a substitutive strategy. And we have to think catalytically, meaning how can we uh, activate the body's own ability to reduce pain because that uh, ability is there. So I think that's a very, very different approach from what we see uh, usually. And so I think it's really important. What are some of the modalities that might be effective in pain reduction that um, someone might think about exploring? Okay, there are a number of them. Uh, number one, there are manipulative therapies like um, something called osteopathic manipulation, which is similar in intention to chiropractic treatments. So those are attempts to straighten out the structure of the body. And a lot of times when things are straightened out, you know, all the joints and the spine and so on, uh, pain can be either eliminated or, or reduced. Um, there are other forms of body work like massage, and there are a huge variety of massage uh, techniques and body work techniques where you know, you're working the muscles and the joints and the, the fascia, which are the sheaths around the muscle. And so there are a number of, of those. Um, you know, there's deep tissue massage, there's neuromuscular massage, there's um, is a, a huge variety of, of them. That, that I've never out. found a massage therapist, uh, I mean, a massage modality that I, I didn't call my friends. So, yeah, there's tons of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's tons of them. Gotta love and then massage. there are energy methods. Um, mm -hmm. There's a hands-on method called Reiki. There's um, healing touch and, and a variety of, of methods where people literally put their hands on or above a person and um, activate that uh, the patient's own healing pot potential. And, um, you know, that can be a wonderfully relaxing method. And I've seen many, many situations where pain goes away. I worked for a hospital for a while, and uh, we did some research in the hospital, and we re reduced pain and anxiety in patients with Reiki uh, by a good, I think, 25, 30% in, in many situations. And Reiki is spelled um, R-E-I-K-I, -I, just in case anybody yeah. is interested in that. And there have been some studies, recently encouraging studies, I think from NIH, that uh, that Reiki is really effective in pain uh -huh. reduction. So that's exciting. That. Yeah. yeah. And of course, acupuncture works on, on the idea that there is an energy system in the body. And uh, that can be very, very helpful for some people. And like with, with any method, it's, it's not uh, for everybody and we can't fix everybody. 
course, no type of medicine does. But for a number of people, it can be uh, at least moderately helpful and sometimes dramatically helpful. Sure, sure. Um, and then, of course, one of the most important things is um, nutrition. And, you know, what we're discovering is that eating well, eating whole foods and avoiding processed foods as much as possible um, actually has a medicinal effect on the body. And there have been many, many situations uh, in, in my clinical practice and, of course, in the research literature, too, that shows that people can experience dramatic changes in their overall health and in aches and pains and so on and so on uh, just through changes in diet. I've had a number of patients who have had um, some pretty severe pains go away just from changing their diets. So that can be very important. And last but not least, we have the psychological aspect of, of it, too. Since there's, there's an abundance of research pointing out that um, a lot of aches and pains can be aggravated by emotional stress, when people get rid of the unresolved issue, the unresolved anger or unresolved grief and so on, you know, it's really pretty remarkable. I've seen amazing changes happen, sometimes instantly where the pain can either dramatically decrease or go away completely once the emotional stress has gone away. So uh, that's, that's another method. There's um, a number of, of methods out there. And actually just plain old um, psychotherapy and just working on the emotions can actually reduce pain. Awesome. And you say by contrast also as we heal, and you talk about the Smith Island cake, which I love that reference because we're from Maryland. And there's this right, amazing right. cake that has what, how many layers of goodness? Oh my gosh, it's so good. I, I should not get into that. But anyway, you talk about how we take away the layers uh, and the physical pain might go away, but the emotional pain sometimes comes to the surface. So you talk about how in your book, you really, you need courage to heal. Can you talk about that just a little bit? Yeah, yeah, and, and I, I actually love the idea because it, um, I think it's so important and it is such a crucial part of our health. And, and you know, this is not something you hear very much about. Mm -hmm. But, you know, after, you know, I've, I've listened to people now for 30 years and, and it's gotten clear that so many of the physical or emotional dilemmas that people have gotten themselves into can be directly traced back to the the unwillingness to experience the pain or discomfort of either telling the truth or um, standing for themselves or willing to risk some turbulence in a relationship by speaking the truth or on a simpler level by having the courage to give up cake and go exercise instead mm. So there's a, there's a certain... Um, I needed to hear that today, by the way, after the okay, holidays. Great. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. but, you know, if you, if you think about it, you wake up on a cold Maryland morning and yeah. it's kind of, you know, it's really it's, it's drizzling and so on. And to go out there and go for a run takes a little bit of, of, of courage. I did it, or, though. I did it today. Great. So. Congratulations. Yes, patting myself on the back. So go ahead. Yeah. Or, or <laughs> in, in, in the afternoon, you know, you come back from a long day at work tired, you just want to have a cocktail instead. Well, giving that up and going to the gym instead requires a certain amount of willpower, regulation, and, and so on. You know, there's a great book called Willpower that has shown that, that kids who have the ability to self-regulate, who have a certain amount of self-control, 
actually end up being happier, healthier, and wealthier as, as adults. Mm-hmm. So on, on, on the simplest level, it's the willingness to experience the discomfort of doing what's healthy instead of just going, uh, just being swept up in, in the desire to indulge in our sensual experiences like you know, cheese and crackers and, and, and a cocktail or, or something. Mm-hmm. I love that you uh, reference Joseph Campbell and talk about the hero's journey because it does make keeping ourselves healthy and happy and optimally fit um, sort of an adventure. It is an adventure, and it's and it's a difficult adventure. You know, I think being healthy psychologically and physically have have a price. You know, it just doesn't come to us, and that's the whole point of the hero's journey that Campbell talked about. That there's always a, a dragon, a demon, a witch, a goblin, something on the road to our uh, self actualization. Right. And so, having the willingness to to grieve fully when that when we need to having the willingness to stand up for ourselves and experience our spouse or family member getting angry at us, um, having the willingness to um, fully feel our emotions is part of that adventure. And that's what Campbell was talking about. The, you know, in, in mythology, all of these ghouls and goblins in the way really represent our unfinished emotional business. And so working through them is really, really essential to our health and our happiness. Yeah, for sure. Maybe you could talk a little bit about, as we wrap this up, um, there's so many complimentary, you mentioned a lot of the alternative medical therapies and modalities that are out there. If someone is interested in exploring some of these for themselves, uh, can you recommend sort of a first step to exploring these modalities and how to find a, a practitioner to work with? Oh boy, that, that's actually a tough question, Connie. Um, there's so much out there, and I don't know if there's a single resource that I could point to. Uh, but, you know, I, I think starting off with a um, just a web browser search, you know, type in um, acupuncturist, type in Reiki, type in massage, type in, you know, chiropractic and osteopathic manipulation. And, um, you know, doing a search for state associations um, might be one way of doing it for, for each one of these modalities. Another way of doing it is word of mouth, you know, just asking around in, in the community as to, you know, hey, which massage therapist have you been to and who'd be like, you know, that sort of thing. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that's the best I can yeah, do. Yeah, that's pretty much how I find, find them. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I've tried a lot of them. So, gosh, if somebody is interested in working with you as a coach or in finding your book, how can we find out more about you and, and a beautiful medicine? Sure. My website is www.abeautifulmedicine.com. My phone number is 410-924-3831. And I do offer uh, telephone coaching. We can do everything we need to over the phone. And, of course, people can come to see me in person. And I do life coaching and acupuncture, both. Um, I think those are the best ways to get in touch. Well, thank you, David. You you say in your on your website your book is designed to inspire change, and reading it certainly inspired me. So, um, I hope others take a look at it and really, really benefit from your wisdom. And thank you so much. This is a good way to start out 2014. I think. Thank you so much, Connie. I appreciate right. it. Take care.